You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Wonderful. Well, you got your Bibles? Please get turned to 1 John. Open it up to chapter 3. It's so hard to start in chapter 3. You know why? Because chapter 1 and chapter 2 is so good. But, but, uh, but we spoke about that the last couple of weeks, and we were just going through this whole book, uh, line upon line, and... Um, so we receive the Word of God. Amen. It's a Word that's powerful. And um, this book is a powerful book. So Father, we ask you to help us to understand this Word. Lord, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of knowing Jesus. Open up our eyes to the hope of our calling, to the riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints. And Father, that Christ, the Anointed One, would dwell in our hearts by faith. And Father, we'd be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And Father, I thank you that every single person, we're hungry, we're pulling on the anointing. We're thirsty, we want to hear from heaven. Not from me, but from you, Father. Spirit, speak to the church, we pray. As we open up the Word of God, manna from heaven, that we would receive, stir us up to read the Word like we've never had before, to meditate, to digest this Word, and to live this Word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Wonderful. If you agree with that prayer, just say amen. amen. Wonderful. John was an amazing apostle. Uh, he, he was the beloved of Jesus. He, um, he probably lived the longest. He was the one that more, most, I mean, he's been persecuted. They say, tradition said they tried to boil him alive in a pot of, oil, a pot of oil and didn't die. Because he didn't die, they said, well, let's get rid of him, put him in the island of Patmos. And, you know, for, for the word of God, for the, for the sake of the gospel, they put him, ostracized him and put him on an island. And he has visions of God. And he, he's taken up into heaven and writes the book of Revelations and helps the church for 2,000 years and the, and, and the ushering in of the King of Kings. They couldn't shut the Word of God up. That's the same with Paul. I mean, Paul, they try to chain him and they try to shut him up. They put him in prison and he writes letters. And so we've got the Bible because Paul was in prison. You can't chain the Word of God. And so John was a powerful man of God. I mean, he saw Jesus in his glorified state. And I always want to remind us that Jesus in his glorified state, the glory that's in Jesus shines brighter than the sun. Always remember that. Look at the sun if you can. You can't for a minute or not. A minute and your eyes go, you know, blurry and all that. But the glory of the sun, the face of Jesus shines brighter. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. But to me, that's a just penetrating, pure, passionate love for you. And he's... Legs, they, John couldn't explain. It's like they're like, like bronze glowing in the fire. They're just shining with glory. And out of his mouth is like a double-edged sword. Powerful. Jesus, God in the flesh. It's this Jesus that John is revealing in this book. And he talks about in the beginning was the word. And he goes, we, we handled, we heard, we, we, we saw, we touched with our hands. This word of life, this message that was from the beginning, that was revealed to us, now we reveal it to you. And this message that he builds and builds in chapter 1, it says, this message is God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Don't ever make a mistake to blame God for any evil. Because there is no darkness in God. There's no evil in God. There's no sickness. God has no sickness to give anybody. Don't ever blame. Whenever your loved one might face something and fight something and, and, and deal with cancer or deal with terminal diseases, don't ever think God in any way in your mind would put sickness on people. He doesn't. He's got no sickness in heaven. He's got no sickness to give anybody. There is no darkness in Him whatsoever. 
And in the, the theme of light, the God is light. And dark, in Him, there's no darkness. The enemy's darkness. The angels fell from heaven and were chained up in everlasting chains of darkness. That's all that demons have. They're dark. They've, they live in the realm of darkness, but we live in the realm of light. The Bible talks about God is love. And in Him, there's no selfishness at all. And you, you just have to read First Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, and talk about you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love is gentle, love is, you know, it's not self-seeking. And just think, put God there. God is patient towards me. God is not self-seeking towards me. Not one ever, not one moment of self-seeking. He's not, he never has a thought of selfishness towards me. He's always thinking of me. He's always thinking of you. Love. What is love? I want to know who God is. I want to know God is love, but I want to know what love is. And this book reveals to us what love is. It talks about that God is light. Yes, there is no darkness in Him. So God is joy. There's no depression in God. God is peace. There's no anxiety in God. No worry, no stress, no fear in God. We need to know the nature of God. I want to know Him so that we hunger to know this beautiful, magnificent Father of ours. That human words can never express the beauty of our Father. And so when you understand the theme, and, and he actually starts to talk and unravel that uh, the, the, what the message we heard was that we should love one another. That's the message. And he goes, I, I give you, I don't give you, an, uh, uh, he goes, I'll give you an old commandment that we should love one another. And he goes, on the other hand, I'll give you a new commandment that we should love one another. <laughs> That's how he speaks. And he goes, I'll give you this commandment. He goes, to believe in the name of the Son of God, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and to love one another. That's it, those two commandments. To believe in the name of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand what that means. We're going to go into it in a moment. The word Jesus is salvation. Yeshua, it means salvation. To believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the anointed one, to save. Jesus is the only anointed one to save us from sin. And to believe that with all your heart. Because when you believe that, that, that brings you into relationship with our Father. It believe, brings you into. And the whole theme of this letter is basically saying if you believe, if you have the Son, you have the Father. And if you don't believe in the Son, that He was manifested in the flesh, that salvation came, He was the anointed one, the only anointed one to save. If you don't believe the message then you don't have the Father. Because the Father gave witness to this. He was a record bearer. He, he gave testimony to Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you don't believe in the Father. It might sound harsh or strong, but this is the Word of God. To, under, to understand that, that basically in all of history, from beginning to the end, there's only one Savior and it's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save us. So the antichrist, the anti-spirit of Jesus says there's other ways to be saved. It's okay. God's a loving God. God's a good God. God's a loving God. As long as you love and as long as you have faith. But then if they don't believe in Jesus, that's antichrist. Anything other than believe in Christ was the sinless lamb of God came for a virgin birth, lived a perfect life without sin, but died on the cross, paid the penalty for us. See, that opens up your heart to the love of God. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
I'm preaching from this book. I haven't got into it yet, but I'm just trying to, trying to show us the theme of it. And, and John gets so excited in verse 1. He says, behold, look, get it through your heads. Get it through your hearts. Understand this, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we, you and I, should be called children of God. Wow. I'm blown away with that because I think of my children. I think of my own kids and I think the fact that you've got children and I just want to help us to see the reality of our children, when you care for them correctly, don't ever think of the bills, the expenses, the, the, the provision we have for them, the paying their school fees. They don't think about that. They don't think about the groceries. We go out and buy the groceries and we've got to work so we get the money so we can buy the groceries and there's always food in the fridge. And What, what are we doing? We're providing all their needs. Their clothing, they don't think about their clothing. When, they, when they're, they're child, the little babies, we buy everything. The nappies. One, when the nappies stopped, how, how much we rejoiced. When the nappies were over, no more nappies. Woo, we've got some money in our budget. Like little things, little breakthroughs. But they never think about it. All their needs are met. Every one of them. How much us, the Father, we're children of God. It gets to the place where you're so unconscious of the fact that the Father takes care of all my needs. He just does. He's just so good. We're blessed. But you seek, what Christine said this morning, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Somehow in God's grace, when I became a Christian at 19, I did, I started to seek God with all my heart and, and I didn't seek the things of this world. And yet the things of this world were added to me. When I say the material things. I didn't seek it. I didn't think about it. I didn't think, I need this, I need this and that. The Lord just blessed us. I've gone to India for 26 years. Not every single year, but most years. And every time I make a trip to India, uh, the Lord through Christine's mum blesses us. I mean, our house has been so decorated by her mother. And if it's, what, it's curtains, it's blinds. When I come back, now she put her blinds everywhere. It's, it's a new TV and then all these things. I mean, for 20-something, it's a long time. You get to have a really decorated house but we had a small fridge that you open up and we always struggling with five kids small little section that was fridge and another one was freezer really skinny couldn't even put pots in there it was really it was not it was we had to get a bigger fridge and we came back to a brand new massive big fridge from india well when i came back from india because christine's mum bought it for us and blessed us what am i what am i saying the father takes care of us we're children of god but we have to seek first the kingdom of god get Go after his business. Go after what God is busy about. And it's people. If you go after people, he'll take care of your things. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The world doesn't know us because the world didn't know Jesus. The world persecuted Jesus. The world attacked Jesus. The world put Jesus on the cross. The world is envy and jealous of Jesus. They couldn't handle him. They've got to get rid of this Jesus. He's healing the sick, raising the dead. All the religious leaders were so intimidated and insecure. They thought, if this keeps up, everyone's going to follow him. They're not going to listen to us anymore. They were so threatened they wanted to kill him, and they did. They hated him. The world won't like us. We should look so different. We don't look for it, but we act so different that the world hates us. And I'll explain what I mean by that, but... It's just that your, your works are righteous and their works are evil. And so our righteous works shines light on the evil selfishness that they live in. 
And that's why they don't even know why they don't like us. But first, I just want to show you really briefly, because it's something in our hearts I think is so important to understand. In chapter 2, I touched this on last Sunday night, but in verse 15, John is trying to bring this amazing understanding of our love for God. He goes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't love the world. Because if you, if you become affectionate for the world, then if you become fond of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But what's in the world? All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. But do you believe this Bible? This word says, the world is passing away and the lust of it is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, when I read that scripture, I'm trying to picture, I'm trying to explain to you the heart of it. It's, uh, there's other scriptures that, that Jesus spoke about in Luke 14. He says, unless you love your father, your mother, your husband or wife, even your children, even your own life less than me, you are not worthy to be my disciple. Now, when I read that, I don't know about you, when I first, when I first became a Christian, I came across that scripture and I go, oh, that's a really hard ask. What do you mean love your your own mother and father. I love my mother and father heaps. They were alive when I was 19, when I first became a Christian. What do you mean I love my father and mother less? It doesn't make sense to my brain, my selfish life. I didn't get it. You know, to, to love my wife less than my, my love for God. To love my children less than for my, my love for God. It, it sounds like competition, one. It sounds like it's not fair. It sounds like that's a hard ask. What are you asking us to do? And you shouldn't even, and not even to not love your own life more. Doesn't that sound harsh? But you don't understand the heart of God. So when you, when, you marry, when, you, when you propose to your wife, remember when you propose to your wife if you propose to your wife. But I didn't. Everybody knows I didn't. <laughs> because I dated my wife and I was so spiritual. I wouldn't date anyone unless we're going to marry. You know we're going to get married, eh? And that was it. That was, that was the proposal. We're going to get married because I wouldn't go out with someone. And, and so... I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying I didn't. I should have gone on my knees. I should have done the big thing and everything. But imagine asking someone to marry you and saying, listen, I want to spend the rest of my life with you because I love you and you're my everything and I want to give you my life and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And would you marry me? And, uh, but you, even though you're going to be committed to me, you're allowed to go sleep with anyone you want to. Wouldn't that be disgusting? How wrong is that? Think about it for a second. That's really what God is asking. I want to marry you. I want your love and affection to be mine. I want you to be so in love with me that the love for others is less. Not you don't love them, you're just less than me. Love me with all your heart because I'll fill you with the love to love other things correctly. That's really what he's saying. He's just saying, like, my love is so pure. My love is so pure for you that I want you to love me as much as I love you. I want you to be 100% sold to me because I'm 100% sold to you. I can't explain it any other way. That's what love demands, isn't it? We understand it in a husband and wife relationship. You'd be outraged. There's a scripture in James chapter 4, I think around verse 5. He says, do you think the scripture says in vain that the spirit that lives and abides in us earnestly, passionately wants to grab a hold of us with envy? He earnestly earns for us with a passionate love that is like a jealous love. The spirit that's in us 
yearns for me. He yearns for me. He passionately wants. It's God's Spirit that's in you that wants you. So when you give your affection to something else and other things, he, he, he's actually got jealous for your love. That's why he says, oh, and in the context of James, you read it, he says, oh, you adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know the friendship of God is enemy, enemy with God? The fr- sorry, en- the friendship of the world. I said it wrong, didn't I? The friendship of the world, he goes, you adulteresses and adulterers, the friendship of the world is enemy, enmity, which means enemy against God. It's contrary to God. What's he saying? When you're in, fo- when you're, you're, the word is fo- being fond of the world, being a friend of the world. T- your affection goes for the world. Now, when I think of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, I see it as the reason why we have the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is because we're not securing God's love. So, if something looks appealing, let's let's, let's say say I don't know, because uh, some of these things aren't wrong in themselves, but they can become wrong because we view. Let's say clothing. I see Armani jacket. The lust of the eyes is, wow, I need to be in that Armani jacket and I need to look really cool. Why am I thinking of that? Because of pride of life. Because I'm thinking of how I will look when everyone sees me in this Armani jacket. So I'm thinking of attention because I don't have the attention from the Father. Because I'm not secure I'm not f- and I don't feel loved and I don't know my self-worth and I don't know how valuable I am, I'm finding it with the outward world. If I put this jacket on and I put this and I do my hair, and I, do, I will look so cool. Everyone, I'm the pride of life. See, that's what's the pull of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Why, why do I want to drive that car? I want to drive that car so everyone can see me drive that car. I want everyone to see how successful I am. So the pride of life is the fuel of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes to be in this amazing sports car. So when I drive down the road, everyone sees how cool I am. Look how successful I am, everybody. Why? Because I'm not secure in my love of the Father. But when I have my love for the Father, even if I drive those things, I wouldn't drive it for the wrong reasons. I would drive for the right reasons. This is a motive change. I'm trying to explain to you that it's, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes is the, is the pride of life. Even the lust of the flesh. God has given us, for example, God created sex. Did you know that? He came up with the idea. He, he gave us the organs. He designed them and everything. Thought about it. I'm going to give this gift to my children. And in a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, he goes, I'm going to give you this gift. I want you to enjoy this gift. He designed it. He came up with the idea. He came up with orgasm. He came up with everything. Passion. So when you do it God's way and you trust God, the lust of the flesh is satisfied in the right word holy, with holiness through God's way because you're doing it God's way. So you're trusting the Father. God, you've got a pattern and a way for this. So I'll abstain now until I do it your way because your way is better than me coming up with it and me becoming God and meeting my own need through the lust of the flesh, the world's way. Do you get it? Like it's important. If I don't speak about this, you say, oh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. What are you really talking about? So God meets those needs correctly when you trust God. And the issue is, this is why I'm getting it this way, it's all about fear. When you don't trust God, you're afraid that God won't meet that need. I'll, I'll, I'll meet that need. So that's what stealing is. Anytime you're tempted to steal anything or lie about your taxes because I want to get something extra because it's still stealing, it's like you, you're, you're saying, I will meet my need. So if you see a wallet and you see cash in it and you got opportunity to take it back to the owner or you go, wow, no, no one's around, I can take the cash. You're meeting your own need because you don't trust God to meet your need. It's always fear. It's always based on fear. When you fully trust God, 
That's not even a temptation. I found heaps of wallets. I go find the owner and I give it back to them with the money in it. It's just, you just know, God, you're my provider. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, when you understand it through God's eyes, it's actually, it's God appealing with us. He's, he's luring us into his love. He's saying, when you're in love with me, the world won't even look appealing. And when you're in love with me, and I fill you with my love, you'll actually enjoy the gifts that I've given you in this world. The beaches, for example, and the waterfalls and the waves and all these beautiful mountains and, and the beautiful, magnificent creativity in God's creation is for us, his children, to enjoy. The food, the creative foods that we can cook. He blessed us with that for us to enjoy. That's how loving he is. So if you go back to chapter 3, we're never going to get through this book. But it says, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. Now sometimes you just got to stop there and go, stop, pause, when you're meditating, and just go, now we are children of God. Now. Not one day, not when I get to heaven. Now I'm a child of God. And children can spend time with their father. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to strive. You don't have to try hard. You just, I'm a child of God. Come into your presence. Father, you welcome me. You want me to come into your presence. He desires you more than you desire him. He desires you to come into his presence more than you want to be in his presence. It, is, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. That word revealed means it has not been rendered apparent. It's not been manifested yet. We don't know what we shall be. But we shall, sorry, but we know. That when he is revealed, talking about Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Wow. You're going to be like Jesus. We don't know what we're going to be revealed. How are we going to be? But we do know when we see him, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How is he? He's full of glory. And we're going to be like him. Where do you get that from the Bible? How do, you, how do you get that from the It's all over the Bible, guys. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4. Let me read it to you. No, chapter 3. Philippians 3. Just in case you think you're making it up. How do you say that, Leo? Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body or our humiliated, uh, humili- uh, what's the word, uh, humiliated not humiliated. It's, it's like a humble, lower state. But it's in a different word. Not humility, but no. Who <laughs> transform our lowly, humble, lower state body that, so that it, will, it may be conformed. The word conform means to change and transform to His glorious body. So this lowly body, humble body, it's a mortal body, will be transformed into His glorious body. The Bible talks about our mortal body will put on immortality. Our body of corruption will be put on incorruption. We'll be raised a, a, a mortal body, but it'll raise a glorious body. We go into the ground like a seed. In the same way, the seed has a different, uh, the seed that falls in is not the same body that comes out. You say, oh, we put ourselves in the ground, but we come out a resurrected, glorious body. We are going to be transformed into the image of the glory of our Jesus. Romans 8 says that we are conformed by God. Conformed. Conform to the, uh, our destiny, sorry, there's a scripture. Our destiny is conformed to be into the image of His Son. 
Your destiny is to be changed and conformed into the image of His Son. Changed to be like Jesus. And I believe as we see His glory now, we're transformed from glory to glory in our spirit man. Our spirit man is changed by taking on revelation knowledge of God. When you take revealed knowledge, it changes your spirit man to become more like Jesus. We're changing right now from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. Amen. So 1 John says that we're going to be like him. That's good news. That's exciting. And this is the key. I want us to, that's the vision. That's the goal. We're going to be like Jesus. We're all going to, one day we're all going to go to heaven. It's all going to be over. This temporary life's going to be all over. Don't live for the temporary. Please live for eternity. Every thought, every decision you make should have eternity in mind. How is this going to please the Father? That's what we're motivated for. We're motivated to how we please God. How's God going to see this decision? How's God going to see my heart, my attitude right now, what I'm doing right now? How's this going to please the Father? It's all about pleasing the Father. Amen? Has to be. That's what the Scripture teaches us. Anyone, so and everyone who has this hope, what hope? The fact that we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be transformed to the image of the glory of Jesus. If anyone has this hope, he will purify himself just as he is pure. When you have this hope, they're going to be changed to become like Jesus. When that hope is real, you will purify yourself. That's the motivation of purification. That's why we want to change. That's why we want to say no to sin. That's why we want to give up sin. Why? My purification process is because anyone has this hope. The word hope is earnest expectation that I'm going to be like Jesus. So I stopped and I meditated one day. I thought, Lord, what's the reality of I'm going to, I'm going to stand before you one day. I'm going to stand and in the presence of the judgment seat of Christ. Christ in all of his glory and I'm going to give account of my life. So I wanted this truth to be real in my spirit. I want, to, I want it to break home in my life. I want it to remind me, God, I want to have this hope in me. I will stand before you one day. Scripture says, I will give account of every word I say. Every action, I, every decision I make. So one day I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I have this hope that I'm going to be transformed and changed to be like him. So I want to please you now. And then when you have that hope in you and it's burning and it's real, you'll purify yourself. Anyone who has this hope will purify himself, even as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness against God. Again, I'm trying to show us the fact that sin is the act of not trusting God, His way. And through fear, I'll come up with it. I'll be my God. I'll meet my need right now because I can't trust God. I don't want to wait for God's way, God's pattern or God's timing. I'm going to come up with it now. That's what sin is. Sin is I'll, I'll meet my need. I'll be my God. Thank you very much. I don't want you to be God. I want to be God. Does that make sense? Because of fear. Sin is the act of what Adam and Eve did. But what I see, it's good for, it's good for the taste. It's good for the food. Oh, and also of what it would give me. Like Satan lied to them and says, if you eat this fruit of the, knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you would be like God. Hang on a sec. They were already like God. They were lied to. They were already made in the image of God. They were already sons and daughters of God. They, were already, they already had what the devil said they didn't have. And now in Christ, you've got to realize we already have what Christ says we have. We don't have to strive. We don't have to struggle to try to get it. We actually already have it in Christ. He's trying to get you to get it through works rather than through grace. 
Adam and Eve already had it through grace. And they, Satan convinced them to get it off his eyes of grace that it was already theirs and earn it through works. And by acting out of works, they sinned. They disobeyed God. They didn't trust God. God said, don't touch it. In the day you eat it, you'll die. That was good enough. God said, don't, because God loves them. It was the best for them. But they disobeyed, and that's how they fell into spiritual sin and spiritual death, and we all fell into that spiritual death. Look at this, verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And you know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Why was Jesus manifested? The whole point of Jesus coming to the earth was to take away our sin, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides, lives, and dwells in him does not sin. Whoever sins has never seen him or known him. Just try to picture what John's trying to say. When you understand who God is, if you live a lifestyle of sin, you have not even seen him or known him intimately with relationship. But when, think about it whenever you're really, really close to God. I know when I'm so close to God and my eyes are on Him and I'm so focused, I have no desire to sin. I just, my eyes are on Him. I want to please Him. When I'm focused and I'm full of the Spirit, I'm full of His presence, I'm full of praying in the Spirit, and, and I'm just been worshiping and I'm focused on Him, I have no desire to sin. That's what it's talking about. But somehow the enemy gets our eyes off Him, gets us so busy living life, and we are distracted, we're not getting fed, and all of a sudden we've got desire for sin because our flesh has desire for sin. But our spirit, when, you, when, you, when you've really seen him and you've known him and he's full of glory and full of light and full of splendor, he's magnificent, he's full of love. Why would you want to sin and break his heart? Why would you want to say, I want to walk in darkness? Darkness is evil, yuck, selfishness. It's, 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 you've got to see it for what it is. Amen? Now this, the word of God speaks to me as much as it speaks to you. So don't think, I'm, I'm preaching to me, okay? I'm the first listener of this word. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Don't let anyone deceive you. If you practice, live a lifestyle of righteousness, that means you are righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. This is the reason why Jesus was manifested, so he can destroy the works of the devil. Now, we know that he did by taking on the fight for us. He didn't do it for himself. He took on the fight on your behalf, on my behalf. He identified himself with man, stripped Satan of his authority, took on the fight, bashed him totally up, stripped Satan of all his authority, and won the victory for us. Not for himself, but for us. He who, it says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God, that word born is to be regenerated of God. God regenerated himself into you. God, and it says, does not sin, for his seed, God's seed, remains in you. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. God's seed remains in you. When you're born of God, it's His Word that went into your heart. His Word is the seed. His Spirit also came into your heart. So He regenerated. He gave birth. He, he, it's like He gave birth and seeded Himself into you. That's why He lives in us. So when, you, when you're born of God, you cannot consciously sin. 
Your spirit does not have desire to sin. And I think about that. I think, what do you mean, Lord? Why, but why is it our flesh still wants to sin? It's talking about your spirit man. When your spirit man has conceived the word of God, the seed of God, and God regenerated himself in your spirit, your spirit man has no desire to sin. Sin has been broken. Your, sin, your spirit is made in the image and likeness of God. It's got light there. It doesn't want to sin. Do you following? But when your spirit's full of God and full of his presence and his word is strong and your mind is getting renewed, your spirit and your mind work together and say no to flesh and tell your flesh what to do. Your flesh listens. Your flesh has no nature of itself. It was all its life doing sin. So it's got, it's, it's, I think it's like programmed to want to sin, but it doesn't have a nature of itself. Now, I know, I know that some translations talk about sinful nature, but the word there is flesh. It just means sarks. It means flesh. It means meat, like canne in Italian, canne. That's the word, carnal, canne, meat. That's all the that word means. Our spirit when it's spiritually dead, drives that into sin because it's full of darkness. But now that we're born again, we're full of light, you don't desire to sin. The real you inside you does not desire to sin. Amen? Let's just try to finish it in a moment. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. If you don't love your brother, you're not of God. If you don't lay down your life for your brother, you're not of God. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's the message. What did Jesus come to reveal? The love of God, the love of the Father. God is light. God is love. So this is the message. It's to love one another. So when you understand God and you're filled with God and, he, and you're saturated with God and He's your source, He fills you with love, all of a sudden it's all about others. You just want to minister. You just want to give. You want to lay down your life. Everything you do, the kindness, the gentleness, you want to bless someone, you want to smile. It's all about ministering. But when you don't have this love, it's the opposite. It's all about me and I want to be loved. How come no one sees me? How come it's insecurity. So when you're insecure, you're like a sponge and you're looking for love and that's why it all short circuits. But when you've got this connection with God, you've got the love and you're willing to lay down your life. Amen? And that's why it goes on. I just need to finish because we're building this whole story up. It's hard to finish before he uses the main point. The main argument is this, is this not as Cain, who was, the wicked, was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did Cain murder Abel? Because he couldn't handle that his brother Abel offered to God the right way and his light and his works of love and love for God shone on his darkness. And so his works were righteous, his is evil, and his, it, it, that's why he hated him. And that's why he murdered him. And look what he's getting. I just want to show you something. Do not marvel, my brothers, if the world hates you. Why? Because their works are evil and yours are righteous. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Do you believe that? It's in the Bible. You have to believe it. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Hang on a sec. He's trying to make a point. Why is he saying that? Because it's true. And he's also saying it because, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding him. If, if, we all know if you're a murderer, you don't have eternal life. The life of Almighty God living inside of you if you're a murderer. The definition of murder is to hate your brother. The definition of hate in this is not a hatred feeling, is to not lay down your life for your brother. So you see your brother in need, you've got this world's goods, but you don't want to, give, you don't want to help him. 
You see them in need, you don't want to help them. You, you can help them, but you don't want to. That's because we're not loving them. And I don't know how to explain it any other way, but if we have hate in our hearts, like if we don't love our brother, if we love our, if we love our brother less than ourselves, it's this golden rule, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're supposed to love them at the same level as we love ourselves. So if we hate our brother, it means you're not willing to lay down your life for your brother. You're a murderer. What? God's calling me a murderer? Because if, if push comes to shove, you put yourself in front of his needs and he will die and you'll stay alive. I don't explain it any other way. I saw a scene in a, in a series on TV. They were stuck in a truck. And it was about 11 or 12 people in the truck. They're running out of oxygen and they're all going to die. Some, the selfishness of some people said, we've got to do something. We've got to stay here. We're all going to die. He's freaking out. We've got to kill people. We've got to kill the older people. We can live longer. And, and he wanted to kill all the old people. And then one guy full of love, he goes, no, we're not going to, we're going to do this together. We're going to stay. Like, so that's a selfishness, not laying down your life for someone else. You're willing to kill someone so you can stay alive. Yeah. And the reason why when you have, when you don't love your brother as you love yourself, what stops you from actually murdering them is self-preservation. If you knew you could get away with it and wouldn't get punished, it'd be as good as done. We don't see that. God sees that. Just trying to show you why God is saying it. But, but see, that's why God had to pull us out of our darkness. God had to pull us out of our spiritually dead nature. He did it all for us. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. He did it all for us. Amen? Ah, hope you understand what I'm saying. Hope you, I hope you don't misinterpret. hope you don't misinterpret what I'm saying. When I wasn't saved, and my, one of my close friends took my ex-girlfriend, right? When you're not saved, but full of jealousy and anger. I was outraged. I was angry. Jealous rose up within me. I've got to do something. I want to go get him. I had to go pull him out of a nightclub, my mates, get him out of a nightclub. I said, you, I'm outraged. I'm full of jealousy. Why am I so angry? Why am I so full of jealousy? Because he took my girlfriend and I punched him. I want to fight him. He's not fighting back because he knew he was wrong. I punched him again. He wouldn't fight. I didn't fight after that because he wouldn't fight. But, and I thought to myself, as a believer, as a Christian, many years later, I thought, why was I so full of anger and jealousy? And I thought to myself that if, if I knew I could get away with it, that anger would have turned into murder. If I knew that his brother wouldn't revenge and kill me, or his father wouldn't, or the police wouldn't find out, or go as far as God wouldn't know, even though we know, he, we know he knows everything, but I wouldn't go to hell for it. It's as good as done. The only thing that stops us from doing it is self-preservation. That's why God says, if you hate, you're a murderer. That's why this love message is lay down your life for one another. We are here called to love one another as we love ourselves. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will and is being imparted to us, received to know Jesus as he really is. Glorified God, God in the flesh, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, who defeated sin and death and defeated Satan on our behalf for us so we can live free, so we can live forgiven, so we can live in love relationship with our Father. Father, we know that we are children of God right now. Teach us, show us how to lay down our life for our fellow man, for our brother and sister, for one another. 
Lord, every time we have opportunities to lay down our life, we're walking in love. And you are love. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com, or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.